This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Today's episode is sponsored by us, Matthew and Sarah Bivens. We are up to some pretty cool things and have some sweet businesses ourselves. And so we're going to share each other's businesses and what we're up to. Sarah. You are an amazing, balanced lifestyle coach. And Sarah works with first-time moms and new moms who are trying to find some balance in their new role. So if you're a mom out there who's experiencing that burnt-out feeling from running around and taking care of everyone else, if you're losing your sense of self in your new role as a mom, or if you're frustrated with creating and sustaining healthy lifestyle habits, then Sarah has something amazing for you. It's called Balanced Mama. And it's a three-month, one-on-one, super personal coaching experience with Sarah. If you're interested, you can learn more at sarahbivens.com slash balancedmama. And you, Matthew, sir, for as long as I've known you, you have had an extensive background in business development and marketing. And now what you do is you work with businesses who want to reach an engaged audience, boost their authority, and really increase their revenue through the power of podcasting. You kind of knowing what you're doing in the world of podcasting, this is actually your third show. So what you do is you can help, one, launch the show, to eliminate that technology headache, which is so real, things like equipment, editing, publishing, promoting, things that people don't want to do typically. And three, helping to grow and monetize the show. So if you're a business owner out there, an entrepreneur, or a thought leader expert in a certain area, and you've thought about podcasting, go for it. People really want to hear what you have to say. Trust us. Take our word for it. Anyway, go to matthewbivens.com slash podcast. Again, that's matthewbivens.com slash podcast to learn more. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It at Home. Hey guys, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast, special Labor Day edition. Now today we have an awesome conversation for you. We are talking with Jessica Moore. Jessica is a family nurse practitioner, a filmmaker, and she is the creator, she is the genius behind Why Not Home, a documentary film exploring why so many labor and delivery professionals choose to give birth at home over the hospital. Now, 
these are MDs, family doctors, labor and delivery nurses, certified nurse midwives, OBGYNs. These are licensed medical professionals who work in the world of birth and mostly in hospitals. And they themselves have chosen to give birth outside of the hospital. And so Why Not Home explores that provides some more context around that, gives really awesome data, historical evidence, stories. It's just awesome. And we highly recommend it to anyone exploring home birth. And what Jessica is up to is really important in the birth world and really creates the opportunity to bridge the gap and the misunderstanding and the conflict that sometimes arises between the hospital birth mentality and methodology with the home birth process. So we chat with Jessica about what inspired her to do the film, her own personal journey with home birth, things in the documentary itself and some of our favorite parts. We even have some questions from listeners that Jessica addresses, and we talk about what's going on with the documentary right now and how you can watch it and get involved to be a part of this movement. So listen in. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so, so, so much for hanging out with us on the Doing It at Home podcast. Um, We're so grateful to you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, like Sarah said, we are excited. We absolutely love the documentary that that you put together and, and created, Why Not Home? And so we're excited to talk to you about that film and the inspiration behind it and your story and all of that great stuff. So again, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So Matthew just mentioned part of your story. Um, Why don't you just share with us a little bit of your own personal journey as it relates to coming to home birth and why that was a decision that aligned with, as you said in in the documentary, your values and and what worked best for you. So what was that like? Sure. So it was kind of an evolving process for me, I think, as it is for most women who don't grow up in a culture that is, um, you know, widely embracing home birth. So I was actually born by C-section. I was breech and um, they, my doctor, my mom's doctor was um, not going to do a vaginal delivery. So I was born by C-section and that was always the story of my birth growing up. And then my brother after me was also born by C-section. Um, I went to nursing school, um, did my labor and delivery rotations, saw a mix of, you know, vaginal and cesarean births in the hospital. Um, and you know, that's just kind of how I saw birth happening. Um, did not have any exposure to midwives initially in nursing school. And then, um, when I went to grad school to become a nurse practitioner, Uh, I was fortunate to spend some time rotating with a group of hospital-based certified nurse midwives at UCLA, and they were really my first introduction to midwifery care, and they had a really unique model um, of continuity and um, they were, you know, did continuous labor support for their moms in labor in the hospital, and I thought, wow, like, this is really the kind of care that I want when and if I, you know, become a mother and have a baby. Um, you know, then several years after nursing school, I'm no longer in the Los Angeles area. I was living and working in Petaluma, California at a federally qualified health center, not working in the hospital, but working with um, a lot of family doctors and midwives attending birth in the hospital as part of my practice. And, um, 
It took me a long time to get pregnant. I struggled with infertility and ended up um, doing IVF. So it was definitely not your your low tech pregnancy. <laughs> so right. I, I definitely, you know, there's a there's a time and a place for intervention and technology. And I definitely made. I was very thankful for the, um, you know technology and innovation, I'm sorry, technology and intervention that was available, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that allowed me to start my family. But then when I started looking at my options for um, actual, you know, delivery, giving birth, um, we have a great local hospital here. And, um, you know, I would have been happy to go there if I needed to. But in talking to one of my labor and delivery nurse friends um, who had had both of her children at home, Um, I just started thinking about, okay, what are my other options? Um, there's a local birth center. It's about, uh, 25 minutes from my house. And so I went and visited the birth center and, um, I thought, well, this seems really great too, but it's actually like somebody else's home. And I think I'd just like to be at my home and not have to get in the car at all. And (laughs) so, um, you know, that kind of in combination with, um, you know, looking at, at the research and thinking, okay, what risks am I most likely to encounter? Um, and which kind of set of risks either at home or at the hospital am I most comfortable taking on? And, um, and I really, it was really important to me that I was, surrounded by people that I knew and trusted. And, um, I felt like I was going to be able to have the most control over my environment and over the, the people coming into that environment at home. Um, and, and that was really important to me. And I, I just had the most amazing, amazing experience with my son, um, like just beyond what I, thought was possible. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I definitely remember a point early in labor where I was like, you know, really deep in (laughs) labor and, you know, hurting and thinking, I'm not sure this was a good idea. Like, (laughs) this is is really what I wanted. Um, (laughs) But it's funny, the people who were there with me, they say, you know, you didn't actually verbalize that. Like, I don't remember you saying that. Like, I definitely remember thinking it. Yeah, if you were a mind reader, then you would know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, I had this great experience and I thought, well, this, you know, I don't, I don't think this is normal for people to have this experience. And I actually didn't know if it was like possible for me to have the same experience again. And so, um, you know, it wasn't until I had my second daughter, my, my daughter at home and had just an equally wonderful, you know, safe, beautiful experience that I thought, you know, this is not just a one-off. I think there's really something to this and something that I want to dig deeper into. Um, by that time I had also had, um, several other colleagues who had made the same decision to give birth at home. I had been able to be with one of my good friends who's a family doctor who had her daughter at home, um, be with her for her birth. And, um, you know, it was kind of this this strange thing where we were, you know, making decisions that we felt like were, you know, 
evidence-based and, you know, fit with our values. And yet we did not feel like we could openly share that with colleagues um, Mm. for fear of the judgment um, that, that we would face. And so I thought, you know, I, I think there's a story here that actually needs to be told. And, and I think it's a real opportunity to change the cultural conversation about what is home birth, who is a home birth mom, why do people do it? You know, it's not all, I think it's often painted, um, you know, with a lot, like a lot of things right now, there's a lot of polarization that happens. And, um, you know, there's people who would say, you know, home birth moms like only care about the experience and they don't care about their, you know, the safety of their child. They're to making this risky decision. Um, and, and that's not what I saw. And on the same, on the, you know, on the other side of that, you can also have people in the home birth community, you know, saying like hospitals are terrible. Why would anybody ever, you know, take that risk and go to a hospital and you're, you know, taking on, um, you know, all of these interventions and that's, that's terrible. The hospital is terrible. And I really felt like there was room to bring those sides closer together and have like a more real and kind of moderate discussion around it because I think that there's a time and a place for hospitals and I think that women and families should just be able to decide what is the best option for them what best meets their particular situation their needs their values without this additional layer of judgment so that was really what kind of inspired me to start telling this story Well, you are absolutely right in that there is totally a story there and an amazing one at that. I mean, the, I'll say the characters, I guess, but the, the people, the interviewees that you have and the, the lives that you follow and their stories just weave together so beautifully to, I really think, capture all of what you were just describing. Um, and to, to focus on the, the medical professionals in particular who work in birth, I think is, is very poignant because, you know, Matthew and I were talking about this earlier. We both have doctors in our families, you know, on either side. Right. And right. we have a tendency, you know, <laughs> growing up and in society to really look at doctors as like kind of godly, you know, do no wrong. And sure. They know everything. And so to see, almost to say like at the top, I guess, you know, the entry way into the world of birth and obstetrics, like to see some of their attitudes either shifting or, or completely in a different space, I think is really powerful because I think it almost gives people permission in a way to explore other options and to look at things differently than they knew to, you know, growing up or learning about how babies are born in school, you know, all that stuff. I think Mm -hmm. this group in particular that you have focused in on has the potential to create a lot of change. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really been my hope with the whole project. And I, I have to say, I've seen a lot of really encouraging signs. And even just in, in my community, you know, during the the making of the movie, um, it started a lot of really important conversations. And, um, you know, we've 
did when we released the movie, we did screenings across the country and had some awesome panel discussions after the screenings and, um, you know, included neonatologists and um, OBGYNs and um, family doctors and midwives and really creating a space to have a different conversation that is not so like us and them, but like, wait a minute, let's get, let's all get on the same page. We, we actually do have, we want the same thing. Like we want healthy moms and babies and positive experiences that are, you know, bringing parents into this new stage of life. Um, and how can we, how can we work together to, to make this better? So I, I definitely encouraged. That's amazing. And just as a a curiosity kind of side note, how was it pulling together, you know, creating a documentary? I mean, had that, is that something you had done before (laughs) or, you know, I'm just curious the the logistics side of that, you know, your, your little boy in the, um, in the movie at one point is like, mom, when's this going to be over? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh, it was definitely one of those things that like, if I had known what it was going to require, when I started, I would never have started doing wow. it. Um, yeah, I have zero film background. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not even much of a photographer. <laughs> like I just, um, I just really had this, this desire to, to create a story. I, I do love stories and love telling stories and, um, I feel like that's a really powerful way to to shape conversations. And I was fortunate. So my daughter was, <laughs> my youngest daughter was like literally three months old. And I was at a 4th of July barbecue. And I have a good friend in town who is a commercial filmmaker. And so I was just kind of, we were chatting and he had two kids around the same age as mine. And um, they had great birth center experiences with, with their kids. And so I was kind of telling him about this idea, you know, I think I have this story that I want to tell and I'm not sure, you know, like, is it, I'm just going to write about it or is it like a film or anything? He was like, Oh, absolutely. It's like a 27 minute documentary. Like, you know, that, that sounds great. And, you know, it's like, so are you interested in like helping me with this? And he's like, yes, totally. So, you know, I think I, I definitely had people like all along the way who were, you know, excited and engaged. And, um, so he helped me to shoot the first like five interviews and, um, and then, you know, life got busy for him. And so he helped me to kind of, gather some some other resources and people to help and he kind of stepped away from the project but um I remember when when we had that conversation I said you know I just I can't commit to this right now I've got too many things going on and I just cried because I thought oh I can't do it like it's never gonna happen and he was like so encouraging and just said you know you have a clear vision of what you want to do and you can totally do it and um there were definitely a lot of times when I thought, 
it was not going to happen. <laughs> it's funny. It almost sounds like the conversation that we've heard moms have when they're in labor. Yeah, birth. yes. <laughs> you know? So there's so many corollaries. Yes, it felt very much like a really long pregnancy and labor, <laughs> like an elephant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe three elephants. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> well, it did come together, and it came together it fabulously. And yeah. I want to take a minute to talk about some of the things from the documentary that that really caught us you know and really caught our attention um if you listening have not watched it go right now to why not home and watch it and we'll have links all over this episode's notes um where you can access it but um just the the data that you were to you were able to present um mm-hmm. I, I found really awesome because i think that is a gripe about home birth is that there is not yeah. a lot of data um but then to learn through through everything that was discussed in in the film birth is going to be imperfect as far as data is concerned pretty much <laughs> always um so right. once you can kind of understand that then i think you can have a, a bit more open-mindedness to what is available and just that to think about some of the studies that have been pulled together and so much has been left out. Um, you know, like the Netherlands study that, that mm-hmm, had a lot of really mm-hmm. rich data as uh, speaking to that, the safety and the, the efficiency and the success of home birth. Um, and then to think about this really caught me like, wow, the, what qualifies a woman as low risk and, you know, home birth being a great option for low risk women, that mm-hmm. like eighty five percent of women fit that <laughs> bill, like are low risk. That blew my mind because when, yeah. when you hear just just as a a little pool from the people you know, maybe like the five closest people around you, you will you wouldn't get that impression based on the the birth stories you hear of the women around you or their pregnancies mm-hmm. and their experiences, mm-hmm. but. I think just to help like to show a woman when she's pregnant, like, look, you are low risk. I think automatically is kind of like, I don't know, empowers her then to go out and find whatever's going to serve her best. But I I feel like people, Mm -hmm. women don't know that off the bat that they are low risk or that they are in a healthy state of pregnancy. Right. Right. Just to, to affirm them in that I think would be a huge bonus would be a huge add in this whole experience just just affirming women in their their body's ability and and where they're at but that that statistic kind of blew my mind with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> yeah, um you know, I think birth is this inter- interesting um intersection of like, you know, normal life meets medical, right? So there's where you see all of this medicalization that has happened to 
what really for, you know, generations and still can be like a really normal life event, you know, it's it at the same time, it's something that can have really significant medical complications. And so, you know, walking that balance and figuring out, okay, yes, um, birth is normal and we're made to give birth and complications can arise. And, you know, it's important to be vigilant around birth. And, and so, so figuring out, you know, what for, each particular family um, is gonna is gonna fit their their needs. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, and I wrote it down in my notes. Um, it kind of goes along with what you just said, talking about the risks that you're comfortable taking on, because you know, just like you said, birth is very natural, but but things can happen. So there's going to be risks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, choosing a hospital birth, there'll be risks. Choosing birthing center, there'll be risks. Choosing um, a home birth, and it's you know it's all about feeling, understanding those risks, and then deciding as a family what you are most comfortable with. And mm-hmm. you know this podcast is called "Doing It at Home," and you have a documentary called "Why Not Home." So we obviously are fans of home birth, but <laughs> I, th- I think at the end of the day, you know we, we are just like everyone else who's in this conversation. The goal is a healthy baby healthy mother, healthy family. And so understanding all of those risks and understanding where you are, you know, like Sarah, like you mentioned, are you low risk? Are, are you maybe a little bit higher risk? Just taking all of that into, into account and then deciding what's best for your family. And you know, that's what I, I really enjoyed. Uh, one of the messages I really enjoyed from your documentary. Thanks a lot. Yeah. One other thing I want to touch on. So I took notes kind of furiously as I was watching the film and, um, I just wrote this note and I think it's funny just how I wrote it. I wrote history of American obstetrics mm. in capitals. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that I should have just said that. That's all I needed to say. Yeah. <laughs> but just to learn, um, you know, the history of it in our country, that, that gave me a lot more understanding and in a, in a way, compassion, I guess, for how we're programmed and how we're, we're taught mm-hmm. to believe certain things about what is normal or natural, you know, as we just kind of talked about, but this, this perceived need to prove ourselves in the scientific world and to kind of throw mm-hmm. in some of that ego of like, look what science can do. Like a woman doesn't right, have to be right. in pain. Labor doesn't have to take longer than a few hours. Like, look, a woman could even go to sleep and wake up with a baby. <laughs> you know, my mom was a twilight birth. So, you know, yeah, they put my grandma yeah. to sleep and then woke up and she had a baby. Yeah, um, totally. So just, yeah, that just was like, wow to me. <laughs> I mean, to your point about like research and medicine, I mean, medicine is, you know, I, I work in medicine, right. but it's, it's always changing and it's not perfect. And a, a lot of things that we would like to believe, you know, are science, um, are really less science and more just like standard practice. And that's true. I think more than any field um, in medicine, I think in obstetrics historically, because of this problem of partly because of this problem of studying mothers, right? Like no mom wants to be like randomized and controlled, right? That's sort of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole, the gold standard for any study is this randomized control trial. You know, well, can you imagine that with moms? Like, okay, this set of moms, we're going to randomly assign you to have this intervention in birth and randomly assign you not to get it. Like, 
Mm, yeah. Moms are probably going to have an opinion about that, right? Yeah. They're going to be like, I think maybe not. So as a result, um, you know, we've kind of just come up with these practices that some obstetrician at some point said, I think that this would be a good idea. And, you know, then you, or it starts out um, good for one population, you know, good for a high risk population. And then there's the sort of like, sneak down, you know, it, it just starts, okay, well, if it's good in this population, then, well, it's maybe it's good in low risk population. And, and that's, you know, that's what happened with fetal monitoring. So fetal monitoring, you know, started as like for just high risk women. Well, then, oh, well, if it's good for high risk women, like maybe it's good for low risk women. And so we just started monitoring everyone without really totally understanding what we were seeing um and and what the the outcome might be so I have a question about training or I don't know if it's in medical school I'm not really familiar with the process of certain medical professions but is there any sort of uh, standardized thing where observing or having a birth visit of a home birth is part of medical training in certain areas, like for, for doctors when they do their, their OB rounds or things like that. Is, is anything like that in place? Um, definitely not in a, in a significant way. Uh Um, you know, there, I've heard of a few people, um, you know, in residency who have sought those experiences because they were particularly interested, but yeah, but it's, it's really hard to, um, because of all the liability concerns, Mm. um, to set up those relationships with birth centers or with, you know, midwives practicing outside the hospital, because then, okay, you have this doctor that like shows up at a birth, like what is their role role in that birth? Um, so it's, it's really tricky, um, because our system is, so fragmented our, our birth and maternity care system, you know, so there you have this, um, where, where we are right now is that, you know, birth happens in the hospital and anything outside is really outside the system. Right. Right. Well, you touch on in the film kind of bridging that gap a little bit and through the, mm-hmm. the conferences you attended and some mm-hmm. of those guidelines that are mentioned, what these guidelines yeah. do, if I understand, kind of create a way where hospital and home birth can coexist and harmonize together where mm-hmm. doctors, you know, who, if they are needed, are are briefed and are aware right. of, of transfers right. and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there a way to access those guidelines that were from that, that conference? Yes, yes. So um, the home birth Summit, and they have a great, great resources. So you can go to homebirthsummit.org, I believe, and they have um, open source materials. So there's these transfer guidelines that their committee came up with um, that you can share in your community. Um, I encourage you, you know, if you're planning a home birth, to talk to to talk to your midwife about like what kind of relationship do you have with the local hospitals if the, if we need a transfer are you familiar with the home birth summit you know guidelines have you shared these like what parts of this are going on in my community or not and how can i be an advocate to continue that conversation that's that's awesome cuz you know i really got the sense as the film was wrapping up that that's really where 
a lot of magic can happen is, is yeah, creating this yeah. kind of understanding so that there's less fear and judgment on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mm-hmm. can all kind of coexist to just treat moms and babies with the best care possible that suits their needs um, in the mm-hmm. best way possible. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really got from that. So that's amazing. Um, yeah. One more thing I want to touch on before we get into some questions from listeners and friends from social media is you spoke with uh, a midwife in Gainesville, Florida, Tanisha, and Gainesville has a special place in Matthews and my hearts because it's where we met and we both went to the University <laughs> of Florida. But what mm-hmm. I thought was really cool, and I think it's neat that we're talking when we are, this week is Black Breastfeeding Week. Mm-hmm. And Tanisha brought up a really awesome point of the representation uh, particularly of women of color in the world of home birth or birthing center or just any sort of exploration of options and care and how how needed that is um, and just that that access to care. And I just, mm-hmm. I found that really awesome that that was represented in the film and talked about um, because there there is kind of this perception because I guess the, the data would support that more often than not home birth is for rich white women, I guess, just because Mm -hmm. of the way insurance is set up and the way that it, you know, the costs and all of that. Um, but just working all of us collectively to create that greater representation so that women have options. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it goes well beyond, you know, like cost and insurance into really like who is attending the birth, you know, who are the Mm. midwives and, you know, whereas historically, you know, midwives were black women in the South and, you know, there's, there's a whole history of, you know, how that, how that changed and, and, you know, white women, um, you know, have kind of took over that, that role with, um, you know, that when the standardized education kind of became um, required and and really kind of erased that black midwifery tradition. And there's a lot of work going on now um, across the country to train more midwives of color mm. and um, opportunities for us to really support that. Um, because I think that, you know, when when you have, as Tanisha says, you know, when you have women who, you know, look like you, you know, supporting you in birth, it really feels like, um, you know, a a more accessible decision. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll have more midwives of color trained in the, you know, in the workforce and doing this work and doulas of color and, um, and that we can address also some of these issues of, you know, cost and insurance coverage and everything so that it is accessible to everyone. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's shift and let's go to some questions that we received from, uh, from listeners on social media. We've got a couple here. Sound good? Yeah, great. All right. The first one comes from Panda B16. And they ask, why aren't more healthcare professionals... OBs, GYNs, midwives, advocating for and recommending home birth or even educating women about home birth as a standard practice, especially for low-risk, healthy mothers and pregnancies? So this is an interesting question, and it's kind of tricky just because of, again, how our systems are set up so separately. I think there's an assumption made, um, you know, by 
OBs and midwives practicing in a hospital setting that when a pregnant mom, a pregnant family comes to your office to seek your care, like they've kind of done their homework and they've decided that like you're the person that they want to see for their care. And if you then said like, but have you thought about delivering at home or have you thought about, you know, um, like maybe that doesn't really instill confidence Mm, in, in the, in the family that's coming to you. Um, so that's like one, that's one thing. And then, and then also there aren't, um, you know, standard relationships or, um, collaborative agreements in, in a lot of communities, um, so that as a, as an OB or a family doctor or a midwife who is, you know, seeing prenatal patients and delivering in the hospital, I may or may not know kind of who the midwives in my community are, um, what their, you know, philosophy of care is or what their certification or their training or, you know, so if I recommend, them, am I somehow, um, you know, saying that they give good care or am I, am I recommending it? And if something goes wrong, am I somehow liable for that? Mm, absolutely. Um, so, so there are a lot of questions, um, that come up and, and I think it, it comes down to like, we don't have an integrated system. So in the film, you know, I spoke with Saraswati Vedam, who, um, you know, was a midwife in the U.S. and now practices in British Columbia. She's a researcher and teaches there. And um, the system there is very different. And so, you know, it is an integrated system. So when a woman comes to her, she has to offer them birth in all settings. Like, okay, so do you want to have this baby in the hospital? Do you want to do a birth center? Do you want to have it at home? And, and all of those options are kind of included in the same system and the same conversation. You know, I mean, in, in the United States, in, in some states, it's still not legal for certified professional midwives to attend birth at home. Yeah. So, you know, you can't really have expect a physician to recommend something that is essentially illegal. Yeah. Yeah. I think, what was it Alabama recently? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just just next to us where we live in Georgia. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So let's move on to the second question. This comes from AG Blask. And that is what role, if any, do you think a state, having licensed CPMs plays in insurance coverage, hospitals, and CPMs working together for access for all? So um, I think it's a really important issue. Um, And I think that until, um, you know, all states have licensure um, for certified professional midwives through their states, it's going to be really hard to push for some of these other things to include them in, you know, the CMS Medicaid rules as a cover, as a covered provider and for insurance companies to take them on because um, that gives us, you know, gives everyone a way to know, okay, this is a standard. This midwife is, has met this standard of education and practice and, um, you know, then 
hopefully we can move forward. I think it's, I think it's key. And it's, it's surprising, you know, when you look at some of the states that, that don't have uh, licensure. So Massachusetts is one of the states that still is working on licensure. They do not license CPMs there. Um, and Illinois, um, you know, there's still, still a lot of states that where, where, where there needs to be, um, you know, more work, more work done. Yeah, exciting. More more things for us to do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, final question here, and it's actually from a NICU nurse um, through our Instagram, and she had a home birth for her second baby. And she talked a little bit, you know, in our conversation that I had with her about keeping her mouth shut about her birth plans mm-hmm. with her coworkers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she was just wanting you to touch on a little bit of what some of the tensions are really like for health professionals and what kind of pressure they feel they're under um, when it comes to sharing their birth plans. And I'm sure it varies state to state, kind of how we mentioned in that last question, but sure. just what some of that is like. Well, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's complex because, um, you know, this is something that you're excited about and that you have, you know, researched and feel comfortable with. Um, but you're also working really closely with these people who may have really different ideas, um, about birth and about kind of the, the kind of person that would choose a home birth or the, you know, they don't, they haven't always looked at the research either. So they may have a really inflated sense of what the risk is. And so, you know, when, when you come out, your colleagues as like saying, I'm planning a home birth (laughs) or I, I had a home birth, you know, um, it can really call into question, like, um, I'm not sure you have good judgment. Like, I'm not sure I can trust your judgment. Um, and I actually heard this from an OB in another state who was um, who lost a job over it wow. um, as wow. part of a private practice, and the you know they just they didn't feel like that was a safe decision to make. Um, wow! So yeah, it was really you know you just you just never know, mm-hmm. I guess. That is, I'll use the word fascinating. That's the word I'll choose. That's just fascinating. (laughs) Wow. Um, So where are you at right now in in the the journey of your other baby? (laughs) Why not home? (laughs) Um, What's going on with it and how is it evolving and expanding? Sure. So I'm really excited that um, Labor Day, it is going to launch on iTunes and Amazon. So um, yeah, so it's available for pre-order now on um, iTunes. And if you've seen it, please go and rate it and review it. Um, If you've followed our uh, process at all, you know, this has been a really grassroots kind of bootstrap effort to get this film made and out there and um so we don't have a publicist i don't have any like big um splashy you know print going out or anything but um it will really help us if you will rate us and review us on itunes that's exciting and um We'll be attending a couple of conferences this fall, um, headed to the Midwives Alliance of North America and California Association of Midwives Conference in uh, November in Long Beach. And so if you're coming to that conference, we'd love to see you. 
um, the theme there is collaboration. And I think that, um, you know, this film, obviously that's kind of at the, at the heart of what I want to, to happen through this film, increasing collaboration. So I think there's a lot more opportunities for that. Um, another exciting thing is, um, we're trying to get the film into more medical schools, nursing schools, midwifery schools, um, even high schools. So, so one of our local high schools, um, showed the film to its embryology class this last spring. And the response from the students was really incredible. And so, um, if you are in a community, especially if you are, you're a nurse, um, who, you know, is, is interested in home birth or who has had a home birth, you know, I think that high school, high school biology classes, um, would, would love to have you like in the, in the classroom talking about your experience as a nurse and then, you know, bringing in bits of this film to show students another, another way that birth can happen. Because I think that, you know, if you've never even considered home birth or if you never even knew that it was an option when you get pregnant, um, it's like a long way to come in, you know, nine months, six months, four months, you know, to, to decide, like go from, I didn't even know home birth was an option to like, oh yeah, I'm going to have my baby at home. So the other thing that I'd like to do is just to, you know, get students, um, exposed to this earlier, um, when they're open and, you know, considering and don't have a lot of, you know, preconceived ideas, um, about birth. And so I've definitely seen that, that that's possible with, with this film. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we, what we have going on right now. That's fantastic. That is so cool. And so, we, so cool. We're part of your grassroots team. We're going to do everything we can Yay. to yeah, we push love, this out. We love bootstrap and helter-skelter style. That's yeah. us. So we, <laughs> we dig it. And so Thanks so much. We're going to end up publishing this when the, the documentary launches. So if you're listening right now, this will be on Labor Day. So you can go check it out on iTunes. Check out Why Not Home. And... Um, do you have a website as well that people can go check yep, out? Yep, whynothome.com. Um, more resources. There's a discussion guide there, um, ways to get in touch and, and get involved. And it's still doing um, also like, you know, public screenings. You can raise money for your um, birth organization by hosting a screening. And um, yeah, lots of great ways to get involved. Awesome. Awesome. And we're going to put links to all of this in the show notes for this episode over at diahpodcast.com. There'll be links for the Why Not Home website, for the uh, homebirthsummit.org, for all the conferences that, that Jessica mentioned and, and everything else. And perfect timing, Labor Day, a day to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. My due date was actually Labor Day, so... <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. that's great. Um, Jessica... Thank you so much. I I can only imagine the blood, sweat, tears, time, energy, you know, time away from your family, um, driving all over the country, flying all over the country, like <laughs> all of it. But it it has certainly paid off. And I know that it is inspiring and influencing so many people from the level of, of moms making their decisions and the nuclear family to other health professionals, organizations and beyond. So it's, it's so important. And I'm really glad that you listened to that little, 
twinkle, whatever it was that, that inspired you to do this because it is so necessary. And I'm really glad that we were able to, to be a part of this journey too, and to, to share it with our listeners. Um, and if you do another installment or a part two, we want to be in it. So we will fly you to Atlanta (laughs) and maybe you could even capture baby number two. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for the work you guys are doing. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.